together. I just want to read Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his sheep. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Church, I just want to thank you for allowing us to be part of this. We miss you. We love you. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you know more than we can even think or imagine. And Lord, we need you more now than ever. So be with our church, be with our church family, and be with people out there that are struggling, Lord. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to be with you this morning as we gather for worship. Uh, I hope you uh, have had an enjoyable week. If you joined us on Thursday evening, what an awesome time of worship it was outside. We had a great time worshiping the Lord, but man, it was so great seeing everyone's faces and, and just kind of, even though there was masks on and we were standing far apart, uh, it was just a great reminder of the joy and the fellowship we have in Jesus Christ. I know that for me, it refreshed my mind, my memory, so that as I am here now with you online across the screen, I can close my eyes and picture you sitting here with me. And I hope you do the same. I hope you are able to close your eyes and picture the people of God sitting around you, the, the people that you typically would sit with on Sunday morning. Uh, and, and so Thursday night was such a gift for me, and I hope it was for you as well, for those who were able to join us for the, the drive-in worship night. It was a great time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, today we're starting a, a, a new series uh, that we will be in for the, the remainder of the summer. I, I think I teased it last week a little bit and then told you that the staff won't let me call it the Psalmers, uh, a summer in the Psalms, but we're going to be in this series of, of studying the Psalms. So, by the way, I'm going to get every opportunity I, in, um, I can uh, to, to plug that idea, the Psalmers, uh, even though the staff can't stop me from saying it. But anyway... I think that our, our time in the Psalms this summer couldn't come at a more appropriate time, could it? I mean, the world we're living in, it's thick with tension. It's thick with matters that, that need the church's attention, that need God to speak into. We're about to go into a whole other political season of a presidential election, and, and we know how that can be both a, 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 well, it can be a very dividing time for our country, but it doesn't need to be for the church, right? There are things we can do to be united, regardless of what your political ideals are, regardless of what's going on in our world. We need God to speak into our world, to proclaim his love, his grace, the gospel, and so I think there couldn't be a more appropriate time for us to turn to the Psalms and to, 
to be encouraged by the Psalms, to be reminded of God's love. We need, as the church, we need superhuman wisdom and superhuman patience and superhuman courage and, and, and superhuman strength to walk through these days that we're walking through. And I think the Psalms offer us a way of, of, of stepping away from, from our world for a, a, a time, from unplugging from things and stepping away with Jesus. That's key. Not just, not just unplugging laying on the couch, but stepping away with Jesus and anchoring our daily lives in Him. So I think we need to be on time for our meetings with Jesus. So from, for how I see things then, if this is a matter of meeting with Jesus, for how I see things, there are, there are two things, two kinds of people in the world that we should be thinking of. There's those who believe that to be on time, you have to be there 30 minutes before the event and you have to be first in line. Right? There are those of us who consider it uh, to, to, to be on time. You need to be there way before it begins. And, and you're not on time if you're not the first person in line, right? I, I know people like that. In fact, my wife is one of those people. I, I kind of I, I relate to the, the other type of people. There are those who consider it to be on time. If you show up in a, a window of plus or minus 10 minutes to the start time of the event, Right? I, I, we see it here at church, right? Church doesn't start at uh, 9.30. It starts anywhere from eh, 9.20 to 9.40. And, and I'm just kidding. Clayton's giving me eyes. Uh, I Just to clarify, church starts at 9.30, on the dot, on time, okay? Uh, Tara, you can thank Clayton for taking your side on that argument. Not the first time, probably not the last time. Either way, there are two types of people, and, and I think we could all agree that Neither group really, at the heart of it, wants to miss an appointment, right? We don't want to miss the appointments in our lives. We just have different views on what it means to be on time for an event. An evangelist by the name of Duffy Robbins shares a story in one of his books about missing an appointment. He tells a story of a, of a time when he was visiting a church in, in uh, Washington, D.C. with his wife, and, and, and he was staying uh, with a wonderful couple, and apparently when he visited this church, it wasn't unusual that they would come across some people with really cool jobs, you know, working for the FBI, or maybe they were, uh, you know, they're sitting next to people who are congressional aides, or, or maybe they've been ushered to their seats by a, a Pentagon consultant, whatever it might be. There's some really cool people. Well, after an evening service one time, uh, an agent in charge of the Secret Service for all of the White House came up to him and said, hey, Duffy, you know what, I, we have this opportunity. Would you like to meet? with the President of the United States tomorrow morning. Well, of course, you know, he's not going to pass that up. That's like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, you know. And so, so he, he says, yeah, of course we do. We would not want to miss out on this opportunity. So, so Duffy and his wife were told, that after the service, they were told, okay, you need to be at the White House at the West Gate promptly at 7.30. The reason why is the President has a cabinet meeting at 8.15 a.m., all right, so, so I can get you in to see him if you are at the West Gate promptly at 7.30 a.m. Now, in order to be there at 7.30 a.m., knowing where you're staying, you need to wake up by 5.30 and leave the house by 6.30 a.m. So, of course, Duffy and his wife go to bed. They're excited. They're having a hard time falling asleep because they're so excited about the idea that in less than, than 12 hours, they're going to be standing in the White House talking to the President of the United States. And so finally they fall asleep, 
And then he says, he goes on to say in the, in, in the book that it was sometime in the middle of the night that he was jolted awake by a knocking at the door and a ringing of a telephone. And, and, and his host says, Duffy, the, the phone is for you. It's the White House. So brushing the sleep out of his eyes, trying to figure out why someone from the White House would be calling him in the middle of the night, he, he takes the phone and says, hello, and on the other end of the line is the secret service agent that he had talked to the evening uh, earlier in the evening or the evening before at the church. He says, Duffy, do you know what time it is? Where are you? See, it was, it was 7.45 a.m. in the morning. They had missed their appointment with the president of the United States of America. See, Duffy and his wife had overslept and they had to cancel their appointment, <laughs> cancel their appointment with the president of the United States because there was really no way that they could get there in time to meet with him before his cabinet meeting. Now, as I'm reading this story, you know, I'm starting to squirm in my seat. I'm starting to think, well, maybe, maybe my wife is right. <laughs> Shoot, that's going to be online. That's recorded now for all to hear. I just said that my wife is right. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I'm starting to think, okay, maybe my wife is right. That, that it's appropriate to be there early. That, that, that maybe if I'm not careful, I too can miss an appointment with the President of the United States. I mean, who does that? Who misses an appointment with the President of the United States? Well, Duffy goes on to say two things in his book. First, first of all, he says this. He says, this story never happened. <laughs> so right there, I'm like, whew. This story never happened. He never really had the opportunity to meet with the President of the United States. Secondly, he says this. He says, actually, it did happen. And in fact, it happens every day. And in fact, it has probably happened to you. People just like us, on days just like this, pass up the opportunity to enter the throne room of the Almighty God and talk to the Creator of the universe. Church, if I could challenge you this summer, if I could challenge you as you're trying to figure out a you know, new normal to your routine or, or how the changes in our world have impacted your way of being, if I could challenge you to do one thing, it would, to be, it would be to keep a regular appointment with your Heavenly Father. To not be late, to not oversleep, but to keep that regular appointment with your Heavenly Father. Just as Duffy was eager to keep the appointment with the President of the United States. See, I think that the Psalms are an excellent agenda for us to keep in our appointment with our Heavenly Father. The Psalms lead us in how to take refuge in the Lord. They teach us how to lament, how to, how to be brokenhearted, how to cry out to the Lord from the midst of our pain and our suffering. They teach us how to rejoice in the Lord, to, to put our faith in Him, to declare our trust in Him. The, the Psalms teach us how to behave in the throne room of our Heavenly Father. So the book of the Psalms in our Bibles is like a guide to prayer. It teaches us words that we don't already have. It teaches us how to approach God. It not only teaches us how to do it, it leads us in doing those things. You spend time reflecting on the Psalms, considering how to take refuge 
finding strength from the promises they declare and the hope that they encourage. See, the Psalms, the Psalms teach us how to draw near to God, how to, how to draw near to this appointment with our Savior and, and to find our hope and strength in meeting with Him. See, Psalm 130, the psalm that we're going to be in together this morning is a psalm that, that teaches us how to cry out to the Lord. How, how to cry out to Him from the midst of our circumstances. Not wait until we get on the other side of our pain and trouble. Not, not, not trying to anticipate what pain and trouble we're in and say, God, can you, can you store up some extra courage for me because I'm about to go in. He teaches us how to put our hope in the Lord and cry out to Him from the midst of our trials and our troubles and the messiness of our lives. So I want to read for us from Psalm 130. In fact, it's a, it's a shorter psalm. It's only eight verses. So I'm going to read the whole psalm for us and then pray. Hear the word of the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O, o Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you, that you are a God who speaks, who's proclaimed, who has revealed yourself to your creation, who, who has taught your people to cry out to you, to put their trust in you, to declare their own brokenness and to lean into the salvation that only you offer. Redeem us, O Lord. Hear our cry as your people. Lord, encourage us to humbly and simply cry out to you from the mess of our lives and trust you to make something beautiful from it. Guide us in your word this morning, we pray, by your Holy Spirit's power and wisdom and strength. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think it's interesting if you look at Psalm 130, if we were to spend time looking at this psalm, which we're doing now, that the psalm begins and ends with an understanding of our sin. The psalm opens with an acknowledgement of our sin and ends with the hope that God will one day forgive us of our sins. The psalmist wrote, knowing that he was a sinner, that he had transgressed that he had turned away from God and broken the heart of God, and yet he also knew that the promise God had given was to forgive him and all of Israel of their sins. You know, I think that sin is an interesting word that we talk about, or that we don't talk about in our world. We don't like to think that there's something broken about us. We don't like to acknowledge that there is something wrong in each and every one of us, that none of us are perfect. 
This may be an overt conversation we have where, where we, we kind of through pride and ego guard and protect the image that we have of ourselves. Or it may just be a very subtle thing where we don't even realize that we're doing it, but it's out of an insecurity that we don't allow people to know our own brokenness or even to allow ourselves to admit and acknowledge that we are broken. But, but a biblical view of sin both as individuals but also as a corporate people, the creation, the humanity that we live within, acknowledges that we've all sinned and fallen short of the standard that has been set for us by the one who created us. If we were to compare our lives in light of the gospel of Jesus to a a paint canvas, none of us would yet be a masterpiece We'd be works in progress, but we wouldn't yet be a masterpiece. And and here's the thing. Here's the thing I think we need to acknowledge, that none of us would start out with a clean canvas. And if you were to walk into the the heavenly art store, or the earthly art art store, I should say, and and go to the, the section on the shelves where it says paint canvases, you would look at all the paint canvases and you'd notice one thing, that none of them were perfect. That some would have smudges on them. A couple would be torn. Maybe there'd be a hole in one. The, the, the flap on the back of the canvas was, un, the staple was falling out, so the flap was loose and falling off. The board that frames the canvas was broken, and, and so it wasn't a firm and strong canvas. None of the canvases in that earthly heart, art store would be without fault. They'd all be ripped or smudged or imperfect, that all have blemishes. This is what Paul talks about when he's writing in the book of Romans. He says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. None of us are perfect. None of us are a complete and perfectly painted canvas painting. Well, you might say, well, I may not be a perfect canvas, but I mean, look at that canvas on the shelf next to me. I'm certainly better than that one, right? I mean, we do things, I, I, I do kindness better, I do compassion better, I, I'm more obedient. I don't have as many blemishes as that canvas over there. Well, here's the thing. Unfortunately for you, God's definition of our glory, of our perfection, of, of his standard of glory, isn't measured by how we compare to the person next to us, by, the, by how we compare to the canvas next to us, but how we measure up to his son Jesus in whose image we're being formed. I'm not going to put this on the screen, so uh, if you have your Bibles, I I tell you to turn to Romans chapter 8, because I want you to understand this. This is the the standard by which we live our lives, and we will be evaluated and judged by by which we will be able to stand at the end of our lives, this side of, uh, of heaven, and look back and say, how will my life be judged? By what standard will I be understood? We understand that for those who are in Christ Jesus, the standard by which we are judged is also the standard by which we are transformed in image of. In Romans 8.29, Paul says this, he says, For those whom he foreknew, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, to be shaped like the image of his Son. That's the standard by which we are, are, are held in, in God's glory and shaped like and, and, and being made like. 
Well, this, this as a whole is what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 103. When he says in verse 3, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Right? His expected answer is no one. Right? He's saying, like, Lord, if, if you're going to, as you look at people's lives, if you would count their sins, if you would count their transgressions, if you would count the number of ways that they've gone astray from you, done evil, well, you know what? No one would be able to stand. No one would be that perfect paint canvas on the shelf. None of them would be without blemishes. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. Now, what should give us hope then is not the fact that, hey, we're all on the same page, we're all blemished, so we got that going on for us. No, that's not the hope that we have. The hope that we glean from the psalmist this morning is he, he teaches us what to, how to live in light of this. How do we respond as people of God, as children of, of God, as, as followers of Jesus how might we live our daily lives, very practically speaking, knowing, hey, we've all got blemishes on our paint canvas. Notice where the psalmist is crying out from, where, where, where he's crying out to God from in the midst of this psalm. He says, out of the depths I cry out to you, O Lord. That's right there in verse 1, right? He says, out of the depths I cry out to you, O Lord. It's his way of saying it's in the midst of his mess right now. There are many of us who realize, who recognize, who see the mess in our lives and think, man, God doesn't want to touch me with a 10-foot pole. i got to fix what's going on here before God will hear anything of me right now. You're afraid to cry out to God for help. You're afraid to acknowledge your sin because you think God is going to turn his back on you when he knows who you really are. But the psalmist teaches us here in Psalm 130 that we can cry out to God from the midst of our mess. Dan, you're a selfish, arrogant man. But you know what? I can... I can cry out to God from the midst of my insecurity, from the midst of my lack of ability to trust that God is going to do something in my life. I can cry out to God from the midst of the mess I created with my lies and my, my, my selfishness. By the way, those are all hypotheticals. I'm not saying that those are, any of those are true of me. But actually, all kidding aside, I'm sure that they are true of me. I wonder, just, I hadn't planned to say this, but I wonder how many of us have taken the time to, to be honest with ourselves at least, to acknowledge where that sin is in our lives, and then to practice something. Can, can you cry out to God from the, from the midst of the mess that you have created by yourself? So what I hope we can all see is that God invites us to cry out to him in the midst of life's most painful experiences, from, from the, the places of mess that we've created with our own sin. We've talked about a gospel-centered life before, but a gospel-centered life prays routinely the message of the gospel that's found in Psalm 130. So the gospel acknowledges that our lives are messy and that sin is a reality within all of us. I stand before you having acknowledged the fact that I struggle with sin. 
Sin is not just something I fight against. It's something that I have within me. And that God is transforming me in the image of his son Jesus so that I can truly put to death those pieces of my sin that I have wrestled with. So the gospel tells us that though we began as a paint canvas with blemishes on it, God is the type of artist who can craft us into a masterpiece. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, God's plan and purpose in our lives is to connect our lives to a higher purpose and a greater meaning than the painful experiences we have on this temporary and earthly plane. See, when we, when we trust in the life and the work of Jesus on our behalf, we're in essence declaring that, that, that our belief is in God, that, that God is doing a new thing in us, that God is renewing us by the trans, or transforming us by the renewing of our minds, and He's doing it more and more in the image of Jesus and not the person next to us and not the paint canvas that's sitting on the shelf next to us. He's, he's transforming us in the image of Jesus, who is our standard. Not, not the, the standard of perfection in comparison to the person next to us. And here's the promise that God has also given to us through Paul. He, he says that God will carry on this work until it's complete. Until we as his workmanship are all that he ever wanted for his people. That we are his masterpieces who then go out and do his good work. See, this is the gospel. And, and this is also the picture of discipleship. Discipleship is not the collection of ideas about God. If all we did was, was sit together on Sunday morning and learn new facts about God and then go out and live our lives, man, what a failure the church would be. That is not the gospel. The gospel is seeing God transform lives. Discipleship is coming to know God in such a way that our lives are transformed by Him to be more like Him. And so Psalm 103, this is Psalm 103, sorry, not Psalm 103, Psalm 130 is a prayer. It's a prayer that we can take with us to our regular appointments with God. Uh, the, a prayer we can pray each day to remind us of God's purpose and work in our lives. That, that he's not going to leave us as these blemished paint canvases on the shelf that no one wants to touch. But he's going to pick us up. He's going to fix our, 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 our stretching around the frame. He's going to clear away the smudges. He's going to begin to do something beautiful on that clean canvas. And so what the psalm reminds us to do is to wait and hope in the God of unfailing love and forgiveness. Look at verses 4 through 8 again with me. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. 
and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. See, the psalmist is making two key observations about the character of God, which is the grounding of his hope and his faith, his ability to wait on the Lord. God is forgiving, and God is steadfast love. See, in the, in the Hebrew of the passage, there is the definite article, which we translate as the in, uh, in, our, um, in, in the English language. And in the Hebrew, there's the definite article both before both nouns, forgiving uh, and, and steadfast love. So in essence, it's saying, uh, we, we would literally read, uh, with you there is forgiveness. Sorry, with you there is the forgiveness. And, and with the Lord there is the steadfast love. In other words, God is the definition of forgiveness, and God is the definition of steadfast love. This is like what John was writing in, in his letter uh, in, in 1 John when he says that God is love, right? God is forgiveness. God is steadfast love. God is love, as John had said. So just as we've been looking at justice and righteousness being the foundation of God's throne, being the foundation of who he is, so uh, forgiveness and steadfast love are the character of who God is. In one of his letters to Timothy, whom he's mentoring, Paul encourages Timothy to to persevere in the faith by telling him that even if we are faithless, God remains faithful because he can't deny himself. In other words, he can't contradict his character. It just can't happen. He can't contradict who he is. He can't be someone he is not. It's not within the realm of who God is. He can't contradict himself. God cannot withhold forgiveness from those who seek it, and he can't abandon his love for us. He can't contradict who he is, what his character says about him. This is like telling me not to eat bacon. I can't do it. It's not within my character to not eat bacon. I can't contradict who I am. I am a bacon lover. I love to eat bacon. God is so much greater than that. God is the forgiveness. God is the steadfast love. And because he is faithful to love us no matter what, he's also faithful to forgive us no matter how bad the sin is as we come to him in repentance. 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, hear me when I say this. When you come before the Lord in repentance, seek his forgiveness and, and make a commitment to walk away from that life and that, the, the behavior and that attitude and the, the, the actions, God is always faithful to embrace you. You think of the, the story of the prodigal son. Many of us know it. The man came to his father while his father was still alive and says, give me my inheritance now. And so the father graciously gives him the inheritance, even though it's embarrassment for the father. And he sends them out. The son goes out. But, but what the son does with that money is he, he squanders it on, on sinful living and, and just wastes the money wastefully. Eventually, he realizes the despair of his life, and he comes back to the father. And you know what the father's doing? 
Jesus tells us that the Father is in this position where he is waiting and watching, waiting for his son to return. And when he sees him, he runs to him and embraces him. That's our forgiveness. God's not waiting for you to slip up and make a mistake and sin further. God's waiting for you to come back to him in repentance. And when you do, he runs to you with arms wide open, embraces you. That's a promise. God can't do anything other than that because that's his character. He is steadfast love. He is forgiveness. These two aspects of God's character that the the psalmist uh, proclaims are enough to give him hope and faith in the midst of the muck and mire of his life. We don't know what the mess is that he's going through. We don't know what he's facing. We just know that he is in a mess, and it has something to do with his sin. And in the midst of that, he cries out to God, and what comes to mind for him is that God is steadfast in his love, and he is faithful to forgive, and it gives him hope. And it allows him to continue to to trust in the Lord, to wait on the Lord, to wait for the Lord to act. And so we too, we, we wait and we hope. We wait and hope more than watchmen wait and hope for the morning. I don't know how many of you have as a career the job of a watchman, so maybe you're a little bit confused this morning. I, I, had, I was as well, which is why I had to research it a little bit. Are, are you curious what a watchman does? It, it was a man who, who keeps watch. <laughs> That's it. He keeps watch. He, he keeps watch and makes sure that the city is safe. He is positioned on the walls of the city. They they roam throughout the city, keeping watch over what's going on. They keep watch and make sure that everything is well. Okay, so the next question we have to ask is, how does a watchman wait and hope for the morning? Well, he doesn't sit around. He's not playing solitaire. He's not trying to get the the high score on Minesweeper or Minekeeper, whatever that game was. A watchman has a job to do. And it's not a very relaxing job. You know, I I know what what it means to wait. On Christmas Eve, growing up, I would always be so excited for Christmas morning. I could not wait. I had to wait, but I could not wait. It was this excitement, this joy, this, this being filled with something that I just couldn't keep inside. That's not how a watchman waits. Right? This isn't the way it is with a watchman. Watchmen have the difficult job of staying awake all night. No dozing off, no, no sleeping when the rest of the city is quiet and sleeping. A watchman has to stay awake all night, and not just stay awake, they have to stay alert. They have to be watching the water. I don't, we went to a, a water park at um, Great Wolf Lodge, and we went in the wave pool. And if you watch the lifeguard in the wave pool, they're not just kind of kicking around, talking to the lifeguard next to him. Hey, how are you? You getting thirsty? No, me. That's not what the lifeguard does. The lifeguard's eyes are constantly on the water. They're watching different sections of water, and their eyes are constantly rotating their section, watching to make sure that everyone is safe. That's got to be exhausting. Put on top of that, watching... In the middle of the night. Now, listen, I think maybe I've pulled an all-nighter once or twice in my life. Not very many times. Why? I'm not good at it. 
right? If I make it through to the next morning, staying awake the whole time, I am a, a force to be reckoned with. I'm a cranky man. No one wants to spend time with me until I've gotten something to eat and, and some time sleeping. I mean, think about that. This is a watchman's job. A watchman's job was, was hard. Waiting is hard. When you're in the midst of the, the depths, when you're in the midst of the muck and the mire, when you're in the midst of the pain and the discomfort and the displeasure, when you're dealing with the consequences of your sin, when you're dealing with the consequences of a mess that you created, man, it's hard to wait for a solution. You just want God to snap his fingers and make it all better, right? I don't blame you. I agree. I don't like waiting. But the reality is that when we wait on the Lord, We're practicing our faith. We're putting our trust in him as the watchman waits for the morning. So you can imagine how eager the watchmen were for the morning as the darkness carried on. I I could think about this lifeguard and think, man, he he or she must get very anxious for the end of their shift after they've been doing this for 30 minutes. You know, you, might, you must feel a little bit like mind games are, are being played with you. You start to go a little bit crazy almost. You feel, you know, uncertain about what's going on outside of this area that you're, you're called to keep watch over. It's got to be hard to endure through to the end. But a watchman waits eagerly for the morning, right? He knows the morning is coming. He believes that the morning will come just as it did yesterday, And so he waits eagerly for the sun to rise, for the shift change to come, for him to feel relief that that the answer has come to his struggle of enduring through the night. See, waiting as the watchman is an exercise in faith because, because, again, no matter what, they were faithful to stand their post and wait for the sun to rise and the morning to come Why? Because they had a firm conviction that the sun would rise and the morning would still come. You know, as followers of Jesus, we long for and we wait eagerly in faith for God's forgiveness and for his love. We have this assurance of things hoped for and a conviction in what we can't see. We faithfully stand our post in God's will, believing that God will do what he has promised to do, just as the morning arrives faithfully each day. The morning arrives faithfully each day. God does what he has promised to do faithfully. We are confident of that. That is why we have this assurance of things hoped for and a conviction in what we cannot see. We cannot see the sun rise just yet, but we know it's coming. We may be standing in the, the, the muck and the mire of our lives. We may be crying out to the Lord from the depths of our being. But we can have hope and we can maintain our post in faith knowing that God will not let the day come without a solution to what's going on in our lives. We know and believe that God's love and forgiveness is there and it will remain And so we keep our appointments with Jesus. We keep our appointments with God. And as we do, the psalmist reminds us here in Psalm 130 that in the midst of the depths of our darkness, the Lord is already there with us. We cry out to him, and he is there with us. 
Church, I want to encourage you to, to not just let the Psalms be a, a way to approach the Lord, but let Psalm 130 be a daily prayer for you this week. I want to encourage you and challenge you to, to wake up each morning and read Psalm 130. Let that be your prayer for the day. As you end your day, before you go to bed, read Psalm 130 and pray the psalm to the Lord. Pray the desires of your heart that come to the surface. As you reflect on your day, as you think back, as you think about maybe the sin that you saw in your life that day, cry out to the Lord and then declare your hope and your faith in God, that he is the forgiveness, and he is the steadfast love, and he will not abandon his love for us. He will not abandon us to our sin. Let God remind you of his steadfast love and his forgiveness. And may you learn to have the eagerness of heart for God just as the watchmen have an eagerness of heart for the morning to come. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a rock for us. It's also a refuge for us. Lord, I pray that uh, as your followers, you would teach us to, to cry out to you as the psalmist cries out to you. That we will not pretend that we are not blemished art canvases, but that we, that we do have blemishes and that we do have rips and we are broken, and yet we don't have to hide that from you. We don't have to hide that from others. We can cry out to you from the midst of that brokenness and trust that the morning will come, that your forgiveness will come, that your steadfast love will remain, that you will not abandon us. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that your, your word, Psalm 130, would Strengthen us and encourage us as we continue to stand our post in faith, to remain in your will, to be obedient to what you have called us to be obedient to, even when we cannot see yet the morning. We will wait eagerly as a watchman, knowing that the morning will come. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. August 9th, we will be offering the opportunity to gather in person here in the sanctuary for worship on Sunday mornings. We'll continue to stream online worship just the way we've been doing and offering it in person as well to a, a select number because we want to be good neighbors. We want to respect some of the guidelines that our town is asked of us to, to adhere by. And, and one of those is uh, limiting our, our uh, attendance based on our, our capacity. And so uh, we will be offering signups beginning July 26th 
for people to join us on any of, uh, sorry, choosing two out of four services in August. There's an email that went out this past week that will be available on the website coming up on uh, July 26th. But we're going to ask that, uh, that as we make these uh, signups available for starting August 9th through August, the end of August, that you would choose two services to attend so that we have room for everyone to attend should they want to. And, and what that will look like is you go online, you sign up, and then we'll send you an email reminding you that you signed up for that week. And so we can't wait to, to see you in person uh, on Sunday morning. But what that will look like when you get here, uh, we ask that everyone wears a mask so as to help uh, uh, us in terms of showing love for one another. And, and even though... Yeah, we're going to wear masks. Uh, and then also we're going we're gonna to practice social distancing. The, the sanctuary will be set up with chairs. Someone will help you uh, find your seat. And, uh, and it will be a beautiful time of worshiping together, just as it was this past Thursday when we were together for the drive-in worship night. So hopefully you can join us on August 9th. You can check out the website for more details on that and also check your emails. Uh, we'll begin sign-ups for that on July 26th. If you do not have email or the internet, we have a team of people who will be calling you, and we'll, be, we'll, we'll make sure that there are places available, spots available for you, and we'll have people who will call you to help you sign up. If you're concerned that you will not be, uh, that no one knows that you won't have uh, access to the internet or email, feel free to call the office and let us know, and we'll get back to you when the time is appropriate. So we're excited. I'm excited for that, because it'll be nice to have some more warm bodies in the room with us uh, on Sunday mornings as we continue to worship online and in person. So again, hopefully we'll, we'll see you there. Also want to just remind you that uh, the conversations we start on Sunday morning are not meant to stay on Sunday morning. But each and every week we release a podcast midweek that I hope you're listening to. Why? Not because I want you to listen to my voice more often, but I hope it gives you a, a sense of what it looks like to, to kind of continue the conversation beyond Sunday morning, to, to share in that conversation with someone else, just as Clayton and I and, and our guests uh, share in together, that, that we might actually digest the Word of God together and reflect on it together and challenge one another and admonish one another and encourage one another as we discuss the text from Sunday morning, and, and hopefully it will allow God to use that to shape more of his word in our hearts. So uh, check out that podcast. It'll be coming out midweek. Again, it's been uh, fun to have that opportunity, and hopefully you're partaking in it. Lastly, I want to encourage you to continue to think about how God has put it on your heart to give to the work of the gospel here at Trinity. We know that uh, God asks and, and loves a cheerful giver. Not that he asks a certain amount, but a, a cheerful giver. And so I just ask you to examine your heart and consider, how is God inviting me to be a cheerful giver to the work of the gospel here at Trinity? You can do it in any one of four ways. You can give online through our website. You can give on the app. You could text to give. Or you can mail your check into the church office, and they will all benefit the work of the ministry here at Trinity. Now, I want to let you know there is another uh, opportunity to give to here at Trinity, and that's called our Faith Promise Giving. Our Faith Promise is a separate budget that we've set aside to support missionaries that we have come alongside and, and are intentionally supporting around the world. And we want you to know that that's a very important piece of being a disciple is to not just make disciples here in our own backyard, but around the world. And we can't all do that. And so it's a benefit for us to support those Christians who are saying yes to the Lord and going out and serving in the far reaches of the world. 
couple of those people that I'd love for you to hear about this morning are Rick and Myla Berry. So why don't we just take a moment and hear their update from the mission field. Hi there, this is Rick and Myla Berry, your missionaries in Asia, and we're happy to give you an update of what's going on in our family and our ministry. June is really a busy month for us because Aiden is finishing his school with the remote learning system and he's celebrating his birthday. Our two daughters, Kay and Cha, are still in the Philippines, and like us, they're also busy because they start preparing for the opening of classes uh, in this new normal situation. Our grandkids, Keith, Kyle, and Kira, are doing well despite the lockdown, lockdown situation in the Philippines because um, there, kids are not allowed to go out of the house. So since this started, they've been spending time inside the house, but they're happy and they're making the most of their family time together. In July, we're planning to go back and be with them. Hopefully that um, things will get easier for us in terms of transition back to the Philippines. Yeah, and please pray that those transitions go well. If we were to leave today, we would need to be quarantined in Manila for 14 days before we could actually get to our house. So we're really praying that by the middle or end of July, that requirement's gone. Philippines has really been hit hard with this COVID-19. Millions of people were straddling the poverty line to begin with. So without jobs, that means no salary, no rice. I get two or three requests a day for people that are requesting money just to eat. So please pray for our partnering churches and the churches we've planted in the Philippines, and really all churches in the Philippines, that they're able to meet the needs of, of the people in their communities. Now in Thailand, the lockdown didn't affect them quite as much. People are back to work, but no international flights are allowed to land there now. That hasn't really disrupted us too much. We're partnering with Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, to plant churches. They've identified 40 church planters and we're trusting God that we'll be able to plant 500 churches in the next decade. Our deaf ministry is going strong. Pastor Yun is doing a great job. Uh, we always need people to, to teach. I think that'll be online. So if anyone was interested to come over as a short-termer, don't buy a ticket yet. Uh, just let us know and there are plenty of ways that you can still help. I hope that you'll follow us on Instagram if you're an Instagram person or on uh, www.thailandinitiative.org. That's our website. You can see all of our Thai partners and our converged missionaries. Another prayer request would be for when we arrive, that the church, well, the church is here, I guess is really one of my, it's really been on my heart. Uh, this month I've been praying a lot and in, in thinking about what, what I read about in the book of James, especially those first few verses about perseverance and when you don't know what to pray for, pray for wisdom. Lots of things we don't know about, so we've been praying for wisdom quite a bit. Uh, but our supporting churches here, please pray for them for the next year. As you know, it's been very difficult online, transitioning back, all the different regulations in, in the state of Connecticut and Massachusetts and where our supporting churches are. Uh, so our support has been a little bit iffy, but to combat that, uh, I'm asking 50 friends to commit to $50 a month for the next year. That'll build a buffer, and hopefully by then churches will be back, back to full strength. So we really appreciate all the support you've given us, 
please keep in touch. We are honored to be your missionaries in Asia. I'm going to be praying for the berries, uh, but before we do, I just want to encourage you, if, if God is putting in your heart to support the missionaries that we support here at Trinity, I, I would encourage you to give to Faith Promise. You can do so on the website. Uh, we are currently a little bit behind on our giving to Faith Promise, and uh, not just a little, we're, we're significantly behind on our giving to Faith Promise, and uh, that is, uh, that's going to be important for us to, to catch up to that and, and to support the missionaries in the field who are feeling that not just from uh, wh- where we're behind, but a number of churches are behind their giving to support missionaries. So uh, if that is on your heart this morning, I encourage you to think, how is God inviting you to give to the faith promise here at Trinity that we can better support the missionaries on the field? Let me pray for them before we close our service. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for Rick and Mila, and we just pray your blessing upon them as they uh, serve on the mission field, as they're here in, in stateside, connecting with um, supporting churches, and I just pray that you will uh, give fruitfulness to their ministry, whether that is meeting with people online or, or giving them the chance to return to the Philippines. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would use them for your glory, that, that Trinity would be a part of seeing this multi-ethnic tribe of people gathered around your throne at the end of all days, Lord, that we would be a part of that family of God that is made up of many nations. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you have sent the berries, and we ask your blessing upon them. Protect them, guard them, strengthen them, and encourage them as they do that work of sharing the good news about Jesus Christ where you have planted them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here with us this morning to worship the Lord. Let me send you with these words from James. Church, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Don't miss your appointments with God. Go in peace. Amen.